Morning Crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T fam of this morning. We got Mario, also known as the Node Defender, joining us this morning. And we got the live chat joining us as well. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how now XRP and Ethereum are officially compatible using this specific sidechain. Is this going to enable new use cases for your XRP? We're going to break that down during today's episode. As the UAE and XRP made a historical trade yesterday using the currency for a cross-border payment with China. What does this mean for all the XRP holders around the world? We're also going to tell you how validators are leaving the network rapidly right now and the impact that that could have on the entire ecosystem for XRP. But with the largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcasts, our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Mario, we got a ton of exciting news prepared for today. We're also going to talk about CBDCs and Anthony Scaramucci's Bitcoin prediction for $170,000 this year. We'll talk about if there's any validity there. First of all, how are you feeling? Thanks for being here. Feeling good, Abs. Good morning, everyone out there. Good morning to you, Abs. Good morning to all our team. Uh, it's just the two of us here today, but we're surely going to do the best that we can to provide people with with an amazing show. So I'm excited to be here, sending everybody out there love. Let's get this going, Abs. Absolutely, guys. And we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. When we check out some of our daily movers this morning, we've got Flare Token up almost 9%. Solana's up 5%. Chainlink is up 7%. And we're going to talk about VeChain today. They're also up 2% on the day. When we look at our Merlin market update this morning, we are sitting at 1.66 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 51% dominant. Ethereum is about 17%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 43,300. Ethereum is 2339. XRP is trading at 52 cents. And Solana is back $100, sitting at $104 this morning. And guys, there's a lot of exciting news we can talk about. So to break this show down in the beginning, we're going to talk a little Bitcoin because Bitcoin, Bitcoin advertising started on Google yesterday. And these are two exciting updates we have, Mario. As not only did Franklin and Templeton begin advertising, we had BlackRock advertising and Van Eyck as well. So I just wanted to get some brief thoughts from you. What does it mean that the mass marketing campaign of the century, like we've been calling it, has officially begun? Well, the good thing is that it brings awareness to obviously Bitcoin, which uh, eventually, you know, it, it scatters down to the rest of the crypto space. So that part of it is good. It's good that Google is opening the doors to crypto advertising. Uh, like they just need to do a better job of filtering out some of these scams that somehow get through. Like YouTube has got a lot going on right now, which is also part of part of Google. So they, as long as they do a better job at filtering out you know, the validity of these advertisers and, and whether they're real or, or they're scammed, they're fakes, then I think this is this could be really good for the space. Uh, eliminating those scams, again, like I said, is going to be good so people don't get, you know, wrecked or, or, or fall for these scams. But nonetheless, you know, it's bringing in uh, more eyeballs. I, I think these ETFs have been very positive for the for the crypto space in general because it's it's adding a little uh, a little more credibility to the space. And obviously, the ability for for like advertising now in Google is going to bring in more capital 
to those uh, to those ETFs, which therefore brings more attention to crypto. So I think that's it's good in general, Labs. Absolutely, Mario. And we already got 285 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and check out this update from yesterday because I'd like to talk a little bit about XRP ETFs to start the show. Yesterday on this show, we gave you an update from Ripple where they were talking about hiring a new senior management for business development in New York. Why was this important? Because when we checked out the key responsibilities for this new role, Mario, one of the key responsibilities is going to be to drive cryptocurrency-related ETF initiatives with internal trading teams and relevant partners. They also reference tokenized assets here. So another responsibility for this uh, management position is to build a sustainable ecosystem and generate demand through identification of financial institutions, including institutional investors and other partners who are interested in investing in tokenized real-world assets. So that led me to believe that an XRP ETF could be closer than we imagined because of those key initiatives. Well, Ellie Tourette from Fox Business responded, and she had this to say. She said, in order to have an XRP spot ETF, there would first need to be a futures ETF. Part of getting Bitcoin spot ETFs approved was the SEC concluded that the CME Bitcoin futures market would suffice to provide surveillance for fraud and manipulation. If XRP gets a futures ETF, then it's a step in the right direction to one day getting a spot product. Very, very good information out of Ellie Tourette. Well, here was another one of our friends, XRP Mickle on Twitter. He asked ChatGPT, or sorry, this is Twitter's AI Gronk here referencing their thoughts on what the steps are going to be in order to get this product approved in the USA. And he asked, do we need a futures product before a spot ETF is approved? Gronk responded, no, a futures ETF does not need to be approved for a spot ETF to go live. These are two different types of exchange traded funds that track different aspects of the market. A futures ETF is an exchange traded fund that invests in futures contracts, which are set agreements to buy and sell an asset at a predetermined price in the future. A spot ETF, on the other hand, is an exchange-traded fund that invests in the underlying asset directly, such as stocks, bonds, or commodities, and in this case, XRP. While both futures and spot ETFs can be used to gain exposure to the market, they are separate investment vehicles, and one does not need to be approved for the other to go live. The approval process for each of these types of ETFs is separate and depends on the regulatory requirements and the approval of relevant authorities, such as, in this case, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. So that last line is probably very telling, Mario, because we asked the live chat yesterday, over 80% of our listeners do not think Gary Gensler will approve an XRP spot or futures product while he's chairman at the SEC. So what were some of your takeaways? Not on not on if this is going to be implemented, but the arguments that were made from both sides. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with, with the uh, votes from yesterday. I don't think that Gary Gensler is going to approve uh, an XRP ETF, even if we have like, obviously we could have the pressure of BlackRock, which they proved to be efficient with Bitcoin. As soon as they came along, things started to move in the right direction. Um, now I think we, we have to see Ethereum next. And I also have my doubts on whether Gary Gensler is going to approve an Ethereum ETF. And the reason why I say that is because of how hesitant he's been to answer questions on what he thinks about Ethereum. So we know that he he's okay with Bitcoin. He's never really had a lot of questions as, as far as Bitcoin, but with Ethereum, he's refused to answer on whether he thinks it's security or not. So I think for those reasons, kind of how he's, he's behaved whenever he's approached about Ethereum, I don't think we will get a, an Ethereum ETF either uh, while he's chair of the SEC. But now I do think that Ethereum is going to be the next uh, ETF to get approved. 
So obviously, based on my opinion, that might be after Gary Gensler leaves the his position with the SEC. And given the fact that we have you know a change in government happening uh, towards you know the end of this year, beginning of the next year, that could very well be kind of the timeline of when we can expect some of these ETFs. But I think for XRP in general. Uh, I know that ETF gets people excited. The talks of an ETF gets people excited. I know it's validity for the asset. And obviously the asset class has already had its uh, validation with, with Bitcoin getting an ETF. But I would love to see I would love to see more utility news come out from XRP and Ripple. And I know that there's advancements of that like happening all the time with Ripple making partnerships and stuff. But I really feel like it would be cool and, and it would be beneficial to see the XRPL, the chain, also expand and, and and us getting like more more utility more use cases and we're going to show a couple examples of that early, later in the episode mario we already got 335 live listeners here show us some love smash that like button we are going to show you how the ethereum virtual machine is slowly merging into the xrpl but it's going to happen in baby steps and yesterday we got a very exciting update from this application right here so what you're seeing is what's called the easy a application if you could deploy the world's first smart contract on the XRPL, an all-time new EVM right from your phone, starting today, you can. And this is what they put out yesterday. Well, this is why it's exciting. And we're going to break down an article that's relevant to this. This is not built into the mainnet. So this is off a side chain. It's not going to bring, it's not necessarily going to bring excess volume to the XRPL because of a side chain, but this is a step in the right direction. What you're going to do is be able to program using Solidity and then get the best aspects of the XRPL. So you don't actually need, this simplifies the process dramatically. We should get Quincy Jones to come on the show and talk about it, Mario. But I did want to play this video right here. This is um, Ripple's vice president for central bank digital currencies. And in this video, he explains the future of XRP, stable coins, cryptocurrencies, and much more. He's envisioning a future where 90% of this market is dominated by central bank digital currencies and tokenized assets within the next five to 10 years. So I want to hear from our live chat as well. Let me know what you think of this video, but here's the latest update out of Ripple. Currencies in terms of native cryptos like XRP, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, you know, they're not all the same, right? They're not all created equal. The, um, I think what's becoming much more popular in the industry now is more sustainable technologies. So the XRP ledger and XRP is... Um, there's no mining or proof of, stake of proof of work or proof of stake involved. So the, the, the computational cost of uh, you know, validating transactions is almost zero, right? Very, very low cost and very stable in terms of, in terms of pricing. Um, stable coins, again, not all created equal. Um, you have a massive range from the algorithmic type stable coins. You know, we all know the Terra story from a few weeks ago. Uh, and then now what we're seeing emerging is, um, you know, stable coins being issued by regulated entities. So I can't give you the names yet, but there's two projects we're working on, one in the UK and one in the US, working with banks that are regulated um, who will be issuing stable coins and the reserves um, will likely to be held at a central bank in a central bank account. So so what you just heard right there, Mario, is two things. First of all, Ripple is currently working with two companies, one based in the UK and one based in the United States. I did a little bit of research last night, and it's pretty much undeniable that the UK partnership he's referring to is the Digital Pound Foundation. That is working with AVAX, Quant Network, and a couple other big players. I'll pull up the list later in the show. But it also tells me that traditional finance is going to begin holding these assets at scale. 
He said the plan for these new central bank digital currencies, and we're not advocates for this. We're just explaining what's going on. They're going to hold these on their balance sheets at the central banks. That's going to be a huge game changer. So what were some of your takeaways? Yeah, that's exactly what I was referring to just before. I think that, you know, the, the CBDCs especially, it's kind of a double-edged sword in the sense of like gets people excited, but it's not really uh, a nice technology that we're all excited about, if that makes sense, right? It gets people excited because we we as investors in XRP are, are hoping that uh, this technology is going to benefit the chain and therefore benefit the price appreciation of XRP and utility. But I, I think that, you know, we we will see we will see central bank digital currencies uh that's going to be inevitable at this point the part that i'm interested to see is how that development comes in the form of whether it's going to be a public chain private chain um if it comes into the xrpl are we going to take are we going to be able to benefit from price appreciation from it being in the xrpl you know private versus versus public i know that that's something that's been mentioned in the past so, um, and then we have obviously the stable coins and the stable coins, we're seeing competition like arise a lot in stable coins and PayPal was kind of the, the, the latest one to enter the game of stable coins. So what that tells me is that we, like the government is going to have to do something about their, 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 uh, their dollar very soon. And they already, they, Jerome Powell has, has said that the dollar is already digital, but I think that we're going to have to see something come out from the government where it can compete with kind of the speed and features and benefits that, uh, that these stable coins can offer. And some of those benefits are, for example, with what Coinbase is doing, the ability with the Coinbase wallet and, it, and its base blockchain, us being able to transact instantly and almost, almost for free, fractions of, of a cent uh, at the cost. So that's kind of what we need to see as far as the technology on on uh, on stable coins and as far as central bank digital currencies, that's kind of a different conversation because it's at the central bank level. But yeah, I think it's good that Ripple is involved um, because if they stay true to their word that they want to continue and and have XRPL at the center of all of their products, then that could be something beneficial for for XRP investors. But I always have a little bit of doubt in my mind that. It's going to go more to uh, along the lines of a private as opposed to a public. But I know that there's a talks of liquidity and, and there's a massive benefit to it being on the public side because of the liquidity that XRP is able to, to provide. So let's see what, what happens on that front, Abs. Another important thing to keep in mind, Mario, is there's only so many companies involved in these conversations. What are the companies that keep coming up? Circle, Coinbase, Ripple. A lot of the biggest players we talk about every single day and Stellar Networks just added smart contracts as well. They're upgrading their smart contract system at the same time we're talking about Ethereum, we're talking about XRP. So this market's just evolving and many of our listeners are set to profit right now. We are going to break down XRPL validators leaving the network and what that means for XRP holders in particular. But I'd love to finish this video. This is the vice president of central bank digital currencies at Ripple explaining many of the collaborations and use cases going on today. Yes working with banks that are regulated um, who will be issuing stable coins and the reserves um, will likely to be held at a central bank in a central bank account. So very different from the algorithmic uh, stable coin. You know, we, we as Ripple work across all of these technologies. And then of course, your central bank digital currencies, which uh, essentially is the 
um, the highest form of digital currency, right? Issued by the central bank, backed by the central bank, the most secure form. Um, as a company who's working across the payment space, you know, we're embracing all of these. We see they will all play their part in the future of, of money. Um, I mean, today, cryptocurrency is less than 1% of the total money. Central bank money is less than 10%. The rest is all commercial bank money. So it will be interesting to see, you know, in five or 10 years, you know, how does that look when it's all digitized? You know, will stable coins be 90% of the market and CBDCs 10%? Or will CBDCs actually be allowed to grow and be a much higher percentage of the money supply? I, I don't know. That's for the policymakers to decide. Mario, I'm going to give you the open floor, but last thing I want to point out here, we talked about the Digital Pound Foundation and the collaboration that Ripple's doing there. Bank of America is an official partner of Ripple. I, I need to keep reminding people of that. Throughout the entire lawsuit, Bank of America stood by Ripple's side, and at the end of this thing, they're going to utilize XRP or at least Ripple's products. So I wanted to put that out there, but give me some of the things that stuck out to you. Yeah, exactly what he was referring to. That that's exactly what I was uh, um, thinking about before when I when I gave my comments as far as the difference between the central bank digital currency and the stablecoin. And I think he makes uh, he, you know he brings up the fact of it's a ninety ten split right now. And what's it going to be like in the future once we have the central bank digital currency? Are they going to push that closer to the hands of people? So are we going to see the scale kind of tilt to uh to the opposite direction right are we going to start having central bank kind of be more at the forefront of of kind of what what we see on the commercial side of things right now which is taking the 90 percent and they i see that possible i see that totally being possible especially uh when we think about about all the programming that can can go on in the central bank digital currency and so if if they can entice people they can program this money and not only uh, kind of limit on where you're spending it, but also put a put a, put kind of a time on how quick you need to spend it. Then I can certainly see that increase, and I can I can see that amount, that percentage being higher on to the central bank digital currency side over the next few years. But yeah, again, I I would really like I I would I really want to see what Ripple's involvement is going to be in all this, and and how they're going to integrate their products and what technology is going to be kind of at the core of the, of, of those products. Will we see XRP, XRPL? I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of drama happening right now in the XRP community is with, with a whole validator talk and people, some validators leaving and stuff. So uh, let's see what happens. That's why I say that I would love to see more developments and more, more utility come out of the XRPL being that the XRPL is kind of its own thing. And anybody can, anybody that's a developer or that has an idea can, pick up the XRPL and build something on it. So I think that these smart contracts coming into some of these chains like Stellar and even, even the EVM that's coming uh, compatibility for the XRPL, I, want, I would love to see more variety. So instead of us just relying on what Ripple is doing, I would love to see uh, like stronger use cases come to the XRPL ecosystem. And this is a great example, Mario, of getting the best of both worlds, right? If you can create your smart contracts using Ethereum and then just get the same capabilities tapping into the XRPL so you get the instant payments and all that, this is going to be a game changer. Collaboration is going to open up so many use cases 
That's why we talk about projects like Chainlink as well almost every single day. Guys, we got 462 live listeners here. Show us some love and smash that like button. There's a lot of drama going on in the XRP community. Mario is absolutely right about that. And this is one of the reasons right here. As validators depart, as Ripple developer proposes changes to the XRP Ledger Foundation, sparking controversy amongst the community. And really quick, before I move on, there was a great uh, comment here about Bank of America. So when these XRP liquidity pools exist, this person makes a good point. Bank of America isn't going to have to go out and purchase $5 billion worth of XRP. They can simply tap into existing liquidity pools. That's what the automated market market maker is going to be, Mario. People like us are going to pool our XRP together. So big players like Bank of America can tap into those liquidity pools, pay us a small fee, and go about their day. So it's not a negative thing that Bank of America isn't going to go and purchase a ton of XRP. In the long term, it's going to create money for people like us. So getting back to this article, let's talk about the XRPL validators and what's happening here. The director of software engineering at RippleX is advocating for significant changes to the governance structure of the XRP Ledger Foundation. The proposal sets out a plan to establish a community-led governance system. The XRPL Foundation is a nonprofit entity that supports the development of the XRPL ecosystem. However, Fueling, which is the director of software and engineering, believes the entity lacks clarity regarding membership rights and responsibilities, prompting the call for well-defined rules. In his proposal, he stressed the need for a better membership structure. The RippleX developer says that the ambiguity around membership eligibility and the board of directors as elections, he seeks to introduce a new method of election. So let's read what he had to say. And then I want to hear from the live chat as well. Throw some comments in there. I'd love to hear your perspective on these amendments. The proposed membership and board changes to the XRPL Foundation. The proposal changes include the introduction of three membership classes individual members, corporate members, and sustaining members. Each class has distinct eligibility criteria and membership rights with yearly membership dues varying accordingly. Notably, individual members would only need to pay an annual fee of 75 XRP. For corporate members with companies with only 1 to 10 employees, they could pay 500 XRP a year, while larger companies would pay 500,000 XRP, and a sustaining member would have the highest amount of XRP staked at 1 million XRP. Oh, that's a lot of money for the especially if we're talking about big players. To appeal the individual corporate and sustaining members, he believes a proposed diversified board of directors composition. The board would consist of a community of three community directors, meaning the lowest ring, one corporate director, meaning a medium ring, and one sustaining director, meaning from the highest liquidity pool provider. The proposal also outlines terms for office of directors People serving two years, one year, and a, and the sustaining member having no term limits. So that's very important to know as well. Mario, before we get into the weeds of this thing, I think I just provided a good amount of information. What's your initial reaction to some of these amendments? There's a lot of negativity coming from the community saying not only that they don't agree, but that they'd be very frustrated if this was implemented. Like, what's your initial reaction? I'll give my take. Yeah, that's um, so the one thing I see from that is kind of, um, we're going back, we're going back to the idea of it being of, of, how should I explain this? We're, it seems like we're going back to the idea of some of it being somewhat centralized, right? Because we're giving kind of priority, but what it seems by what you read abs is that they're giving kind of priority to these members. And obviously those members, and especially the, the, the higher ones, 
they would have to put forth 1 million XRP. So it's not like it, it it's not like it's an amount where anybody can contribute. So, but I don't know. I, I need to dig into a little bit a little bit deeper. I think part of it seems to make sense from a perspective of um, you know, the big players or I guess the developers or the big companies would have a bigger stake and therefore be able to contribute more. That part of it makes sense. But it seems to me like it could be going towards more of the centralization route uh, as far as as far as who's at the forefront of that committee. But but I'll have to dig into a little bit deeper apps. Let's listen to what David Schwartz had to say, and then I'm going to give my response, Mario, because I think your assessment is very accurate. And I think there's a lot of people who need to address this information more before they decide whether they agree or disagree with this information. But luckily for this community, right? Luckily for everybody in the XRP community, this proposal is a straw man designed to stimulate open dialogue and gather diverse suggestions. That's directly from David Schwartz here, Mario. So I don't want people to get confused because there's two narratives, right? There's the amendments that are taking place, and then there's actual validators that are exiting the network. And we're going to break that down next. But this is the proposal that has people frustrated. I'm going to read David's response, and then we can discuss it a little bit further. He, he said, appreciate this public clarity from you. David also shared his proposal with me as a courtesy beforehand, as he did with the XRPLF. And the foundation recept was receptive to the proposal. At the end of the day, though, he, like any other community member, does not need permission to contribute ideas and proposals. As David said, this proposal is a straw man designed to stimulate open dialogue and gather diverse suggestions. There's no pressure to adopt it as is, and instead, it's a starting point and an opportunity for collaborative refinement and exploration. So it's a, it, the, the purpose of this is to bring forth change, right? They, uh, they think that the way the structure is now is not ideal if they're going to progress how they are doing it. And I'm going to read this article one more time. I'm going to read a couple reactions here because this was something that really stuck out to me as well. And I'm going to read one more tweet here, Mario. A few questions I have for the Ripple developer who, who prompted this proposal. You said you had shared the document with Ripple employees also. Were any of these employees, Monica Long, Brad Garlinghouse, David Schwartz, or anyone legal? And did you make any changes to your proposal after showing the documents to those individuals? That's what I'm interested to see, right? If Brad Garlinghouse and David Schwartz looked at these amendments and said, I agree with some of these things. Let's push it forward. Or if they just said, ah, it's not our right to give our take. That's a very big difference. So I'd like to hear what were some of the things that stuck out to you? And then we'll get into the, to who's actually leaving the network right now. Yeah. I think that, that, that's a, that's a great point. Abs. Absolutely. That makes a total difference. Um, is this something that, so is, is this something that's as a proposal right now is going to go up for voting? Is that, is that what's happening? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, but I, I mean, I think that David Schwartz is right. You know, it's up for debate and, and kind of, you know, everybody, everybody can go out. Well, the validators can, can certainly cast their votes and, and we can see whether that gets passed or not. But if, if it really is a type of scenario where, you know, it's, it's going to make it more democratic as, as uh, David Schwartz stated, then I believe that to be positive. Again, I'd have to dig into it a little deeper. I hadn't seen this part of, I hadn't seen this proposal. So I had only heard the other side of the spectrum of the story with the um, with the validators leaving the network. So I have to dig into a little bit deeper and understand what, what this proposal really is trying to accomplish. And I think that we're seeing a restructuring going on here. The, the fact that 
everyone calls XRP the banker's coin, but when you look at the connections alone, Mario, Ethereum has way more connections to the banks and the regulators than yeah. Ripple does. So it's very interesting. And it kind of tells me that that whole narrative about Ripple being a centralized bank coin, that's coming from traditional finance because they're not pushing that same narrative out for Ethereum, which has many of the same characteristics. I think amendments will be made over these next couple of years. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially when we have developments like this happening, Mario. So check this out. Massive update for XRP. As just yesterday, the UAE made its first live trade through the BIS into China using the digital Durham. This is Medico will be the center for all of BRICS and digital trade. So this is unbelievable what happened here. And let me just find the article. It's got so much information up here. The UAE and XRP make a historic trade with the digital Durham in a cross-border payment to China. The UAE conducted its first cross-border payment using the digital dollar to China. The Embridge platform with Ripple's XRP for efficiency. They were leveraging an XRP product for cross-border payments between two countries that have nothing to do with the United States. The UAE and China both have massive economies in and of themselves, Mario, and they're beginning to leverage this technology. So while people are debating like, Who's leaving the network? What are these amendments coming? These are the things that I'm paying attention to, and I'm not going to be fudded out of the market. I've held this token for five years. There's so many positive things happening in front of us, especially with the case ending in April. The, the, the amendments to the validators and certain validators leaving the network, I think those will play themselves out over time. Retail is always the loudest in the room, and I'm a retail investor, right, Mario? So we're always the ones that go out and talk about these things. These are improvements to the network. And I do think that in order to improve, you have to be willing to be wrong in the short term, but check out the real things that are happening. $500 million worth of their currency was sent through the Embridge platform using Ripple and XRP. That is huge. And these types of things are going to start happening more often, only creating more value for the people holding these tokens. I just wanted to get your take, but this is something that we should pay attention to way more than the validator network news that's happening today, in my opinion. Yeah, 100% absent. And uh, just, to, just to add real quick to that validator news, one thing I did hear is that some of the validators that were leaving, they were leaving for monetary reasons because with the XRPL, you don't get compensated for running a validator. You kind of run a validator because you want to contribute to the network. You want to develop on the network. So having a validator is the way to go. And I heard that some of these validators were leaving because they're going into a network where they will get compensated monetarily. So but this is the exact type of news that I think is possible. Oh, let me pause you there, Mario, because yeah. I think that's great that you just said that. It, this is another reason that we can't pay attention to, to what's being put in front of us, I guess I would say. Because these validators, the whole purpose is to create a decentralized blockchain where they're not incentivized to make money and sway things in their favor. You're saying the people who are leaving the network are going to make money. Let them go. Hopefully somebody else comes in with a better incentive, more connected to the project, and will get a great system. This is what I'm saying. So I feel like some of these headlines are misleading. And I want to give a shout out to a couple of our friends, Bearable Bull, Brad Kimes, like these types of people who are talking about it from a different perspective. Also, Crypto Aerie. Go and watch Crypto Aerie's video. It's awesome. And she provides great insight as well. But those types of conversations are, are not as important. They're really not. These are nuances behind the XRPL. And at the end of the day, people are more focused on use cases than they are about who's running the validator. So with that being said, what's your take on this news as well now that you close that out? Hundred percent. Yeah, I was saying. So these this type of news is the stuff that really gets me excited. Is we know that there are, and obviously XRP is the one in this news, but blockchain technology as a whole has the capability to solve a lot of different 
problems, I guess you could say. And XRP specifically solving the cross-border payments, uh, on-demand liquidity, you know, payments being faster, cheaper, all of those things that we keep hearing about. So when we see uh, countries like UAE, we've been hearing news about that part of the world being involved with, with Ripple and with cross-border payments and, and utilizing blockchain for the for all the corridors that they've got going on for payments. So this is the type of stuff that's, in my opinion, positive and bullish because this is an indication as to what where the technology is going and most importantly of all, what the governments are looking at as far as technology. Because we, what we want the most, obviously, is for blockchain to thrive. And so for that to happen, we need mass adoption. And the mass adoption right now is coming in the form of institutions. So when XRP was called the banker's coin, so on and so forth, well, what's the biggest driver of hype right now across the entire crypto space? We had the whole ETF Bitcoin um, hype that was institutions and right now you know with with ethereum one of the biggest drivers is the institution uh involvement that that's that's there with ethereum so i think this is bullish abs i think this is this is exactly the thing that, as you said while some people or while they're trying to get you to pay attention to this side you really got to be pay, paying attention to what where the technology is going who are the people that are involved you know, they continue to be working with governments. They continue to be working with institutions. They're expanding their client base. We've got governments utilizing this. We've got the UAE that, as you just stated, made that transaction. So I think that that's the sort of stuff they need to be paying attention to. And the validators can come and go. But as long as the technology and the XRPL is continuing to evolve and make progress, that's the kind of thing that you should be paying attention to as investor. And this is older news that people forget about, guys. Just because it's not fresh off the press doesn't mean it's not relevant. Earlier in 2023, I believe it was early summer, late spring, Ripple joined the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, which is a derivatives market that consists of over $1.2 quadrillion a year. Some of the big names that are in this financial group, Marsh, uh, Marshall, Mario, is Citibank, Goldman Sachs, CME, BlackRock, and Bank of America. There's also a thousand plus institutional members located in 79 countries around the world. Ripple is involved in this organization. And I'm going to pull up another article while you talk about this, where XRP was approved by Saudi Arabia's SEC as a, I believe it was not a security or a commodity. I'll pull up the specific article, but you yeah. remember what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. This yeah. is more relevant. These types of things, just because they're not happening right now, doesn't mean that they've fallen into the background. Like, Look at the names on this list, and Ripple is involved in these conversations. I don't see another blockchain company located on here. So very interesting. Give me some thoughts while I pull up that other article. Yeah, I think that you know those those that there's a part of the world that's been way more open to, and obviously not just a part, but countries in general. There's countries that have been way more open to blockchain. They've been way more open to the technology, to uh, not only implementing it but obviously testing it. And that's something we've seen happen throughout the years. I think a lot of times people kind of focus on what's happening in the U.S. because the U.S. is uh, one of the main economies and one of the biggest economies that we have in the world. But unfortunately, the U.S. hasn't been a good example on, on many fronts when it comes to blockchain. It hasn't been a good example on how to adopt it, regulate it. Um, it hasn't been friendly for this technology. And as Brad Garlinghouse uh, mentioned a few times on some of his interviews, we need to look at the, the, the use case of the technology 
more so than what the technology is in and of itself. And that's what we start. We need to start seeing in the in the United States because if these other countries are utilizing the technology, they're testing it, they're making advancements. I think it's only a matter of time until the United States comes around and 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 either starts utilizing one of these technologies that already exists today, or they they go for something on the private side, you know. But but I think it's definitely going to be blockchain based. We hear so much about tokenization as well. I think that the next year, two years, even up to five years, one of the biggest things uh, for blockchain is going to be tokenization. I mean, we're talking about trillions, if not quadrillions of dollars of tokenized assets that can come into, into blockchain. And that's going to be amazing. That's going to be, that's going to make the, uh, the, for the investor, the cap- the ability for you to be able to invest in something that's tokenized. I mean, the barrier to entry is is way less than than what the traditional system currently offers. So I think that that's where the future is at, obviously, with blockchain. And it's only going to be a matter of time until the United States either wakes up or they finally reveal what they've been working on all along. Because I do think that they haven't been sleeping. Guys, if you're enjoying this conversation, show us some love, smash that like button, and we're going to switch this into a different XRP related topic where the Dubai Financial Services Authority approved Ripple and XRP under the virtual assets regime. Mario, this is what I was referring to earlier. So since the DFSA opened an external application, XRP is the first virtual asset to be approved by the regime. XRP joins Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin as the assets previously approved for the virtual asset regime. XRP now stands to benefit from legal and regulatory clarity in the DIFC and will be available for use in institutions located inside of Dubai. So DIFC is Dubai, guys, to accelerate faster, more efficient, and global value exchange. This is exciting, and I think this is what we're starting to see, Mario. People are going to begin leveraging this technology, and we put a lot of weight, a lot of people did, channels around the world, they put a lot of weight into the fact that the SEC was suing Ripple. That didn't prevent them from growing their business overseas. And I think Brad Garlinghouse has said in specific regions, yeah, it made the conversations a little bit more difficult. But when it came to the Middle East, Asia, some of the South American regions, they were very open to having a dialogue, not only about these products, but implementing them in their banks. This is another great example. And it ties into what we were just previously talking about with the ISDA approval. Both of these locations are located in the Middle East. They've got the green light. Institutions are here. That's really just give me some closing thoughts. I just realized there's not much left to say here, but what's your thought? Dubai approves XRP. I know, but like it's, it, it goes back to the thing of like, why in America, why are we seeing such resistance? Like the New York state just removing XRP from its green list. Like, why are we seeing so much resistance come from the United States in so many fronts? Um, and I think that it's, it, it obviously has something to do with political interest because we, we like we're seeing the adoption of crypto happening so whether it's faster or slower than we we would hope to in in America but bitcoin etf was approved that was a step in the right direction it took blackrock and these big big players getting involved at the same time what have we been hearing the past few years we've been hearing blackrock or the ceo of blackrock kind of call bitcoin um, the fraudsters way of, or, or the scammers way of doing business that it's only used for nefarious activities. So we continue to hear that about crypto in America. In the meantime, a couple years later, they came out and they, they applied for a Bitcoin ETF. So what I'm trying to say is that 
we can't just listen to what they're saying. We have to pay attention to what is happening. And what is happening is that there seems to be a political uh, agenda. Um, I, I believe that Ethereum, XRP, there's kind of this fight as to which which blockchain is going to be the primary blockchain. And and so I think we need to pay attention to things like banks, like Bank of America having a certain number of of, um, of patents for, for blockchain in general. So I don't think that they would be spending their time, their money, and their energy hiring a bunch of people for, for blockchain-related jobs, applying for all these different patents. I think that there's something happening, and we just don't see what it is right now, but we will see it eventually. And I do think that the America is at some point going to flip. And when they flip, it might already be too late from might already be too late from a sense of investing early. Um, so that's why it's good to pay attention and to see that development is happening across the world. We can't just hold back because it's not happening in America or it doesn't seem to be happening. Absolutely. And I think that as uh, other countries continue to adopt these technologies, it's only going to put more pressure on the United States to do the same thing, Mario. This is another great example of what you were just talking about, because just yesterday, VeChain announced a pretty historic announcement yesterday as they passed 200 million transactions with Walmart. VeChain is helping lift safer, traceable food and blockchain tech, plus strong regulatory compliance, helping align Walmart with key sustainability goals. Another collaboration from VeChain launching a better future. What's really cool about this, Mario, is Walmart seems to be stepping into the blockchain uh, atmosphere on several fronts. I played a video yesterday from the AVAX co-founder where he said he was talking to Walmart about their Barbie products. So it was really interesting. Walmart stepping into several of these different types of blockchain atmospheres, whether it's Avalanche and AVAX, VeChain for the supply chain capabilities. Guys, throw a one in the live chat if you hold VeChain. Throw a two in the live chat if you don't. I'm just interested to see if our community holds this token. But Mario, what are some of your thoughts? Walmart China completing over 200 million transactions on VeChain. Yep, that's that's exactly the type of use case that's that's exciting to see. And I think that especially for VeChain, it's it's been a very quiet uh, ecosystem over the past couple of years. There hasn't been like a lot of crazy bullish news come out of VeChain, but it's good to see that the partnerships that they've had, they've kept them and they're still working with them. And I think the Walmart is specifically with Walmart in China, right? It's not Walmart global. So, um, but nonetheless, I mean, it's still part of the same group. So, you know, at some point it would be interesting to see if it comes to Walmart globally, not just, not just in China, but, um, but yeah, VeChain has a tremendous use case too with, with the whole, um, with the whole tracking system and being able to, to, uh, see the, um, uh, the word is missing. Um, I'm trying to remember the word that for, for their, you know what I'm trying to say? I missed it. Sorry, I got distracted, <laughs> but that's my fault, Mario. So don't worry about it. I want to actually add to what you were saying previously when you talked about how this is happening in China. What's so interesting, guys, is we always focus on tokenization, but VeChain is a project. People don't talk about tokenization enough. What are they actually doing here? They're enhancing the supply chain by using a tokenized traceability product on top of VeChain. That means if you were going to order Nikes from the shop, they're going to create an identification number on VeChain, correlate that to a certain amount of value, and then use that to track the product with a QR code. If that's too complicated, I can explain it furthermore in a different show in a really simple way. But they're going to connect the QR code to the blockchain, and that will support the underlying value. This is going to let you know if your Nikes are real. This is going to let you know if your Barbie is authentic. You're not going to be able to fake products in this new system because directly from the warehouse, 
they're going to have a specific identifier, right, Mario? It's kind of like when you buy um, a PSA card. For anybody who collects sports cards out there, you get it graded, sent out, and then you can track exactly where that card came from, what number it was in the deck. It, it dramatically enhances the ability to not fake the product. So that's really what uh, VeChain is providing here. And so uh, give me some closing thoughts and we'll move on. Yeah, right, Abs. I think there's tremendous value not to the end consumer and also to the institution in the middle or to the uh, merchant in the middle because not only can they track their supply chain, and that's the word I was thinking of before, supply chain. Um, not only can they track their supply chain, they can they can see its entire kind of progress, where it came from, where it's going, but also from a consumer uh, perspective. For collectibles, for example, as you stated, we'll be able to verify authenticity products you know the i i don't know what the numbers are but i'm pretty sure the 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 amount of money that gets uh that, that is involved with counterfeits has to be huge and so for us to have the ability to know if a product is genuine not genuine ownership of that product especially with collectibles uh being able to verify on chain the authenticity and ownership of a collectible i think that's huge and yeah i'm, I'm excited to see what vchain um, develops across, you know, the next couple months and even the next couple years. And remember guys, VeChain is just one of these projects. There's so many yeah. positive developments that are really happening in the market right now. I do want to give a quick example of what Ripple's doing. Once again, Ripple was just on stage with two of the world's largest financial players in the world with Visa and the BIS talking about the next phase for cross-border payments. And I'm just going to show you who was on stage together. We had the SVP for strategic initiatives at Ripple on stage with the vice president of global policy for Visa, the chief executive officer of digital finance at GBBC, and the advisor and solution architect for the Bank of International Settlements. Once again, Mario, Ripple is always involved in these important conversations, and that's why I just wanted to highlight this during the show. But we are going to show you something even cooler because everybody who holds XRP is wondering, when can I make passive income on my investment, right? If you could stake your XRP and earn 1% to 2% with almost no risk, that's something I think most of our listeners would take advantage of. That's something that's on the horizon for XRP holders around the world as the XRP ledger is moving closer to an upgrade that would allow XRP holders to earn income on chain. Well, I found a great video of David Schwartz explaining these capabilities, guys, and that's what we're going to play next in the episode. So let me just locate this video if I can real quick, and we're going to dive straight into this thing. David Schwartz explaining how the XRPL is about to change. Let me just get my audio correct. I do apologize for this. Here. Here we go. Here's David Schwartz talking about the automated market maker. Something near and dear to my heart, the automated market maker specification. I almost said automated money maker, which actually is kind of, <laughs> it's actually pretty apropos, right? AMMs will harvest volatility for yield. Volatility will drive market makers, which the AMM makes the spread, right? It takes a movement in price to really drive that volume. And of course, volatility increases arbitrage of profits because the AMM gets more out of balance more, and the AMM gets a cut of those profits through the auction mechanism. So this could really turn the volatility of a digital asset from a downside to an upside. Super excited about it. Automated market makers on the XRP ledger could be a game changer, uniquely positioning it to leapfrog other DEXs. Liquidity providers will get better returns through the inherent execution advantages of the XRP ledger that I just mentioned, and a sort of secret sauce that will allow liquidity providers to get more of the profits normally lost to arbitrage, and it will be bolstered by incentive programs. 
Traders will get better pricing and better order execution due to integration with existing order books. They won't have to change anything they do. You'll be able to execute the same um, payment and trading transactions on the XRP ledger. You'll get more liquidity and better payment and trade execution. And it will be bolstered by incentive programs. So the fact that the XRP ledger fees are lower is going to mean more of those mo that money that would go to arbitragers stays with the people who are staking the pool. And that's what you want, because you want you if people don't stake the pool, there's no liquidity. You want the stakers to reap the rewards of their staking so that there will be these deep pools of liquidity. And then with the mechanism that we're working on that will allow them the pool to recapture much of the profits that the arbitrage uh, makes, almost as if the pool were arbitraging against itself, we're hopeful that that will incentivize very, very deep pools of liquidity on the XRP ledger that will make movement between tokens uh, very efficient. Um, so, XR, so that could be, I think that could be a game changer. Boom, guys. And that's how I got the title for today's episode. David Schwartz stating he thinks this is a game changer. Mario, while I switch my audio, give me some of your takeaways. Yeah, I think that that's so that's exciting. You know, hearing David Schwartz explain it, uh, you obviously you get the sense that he understands exactly what he's talking about. He's passionate about it. You can feel it. Um, the one thing that comes to my mind is if we're going to be able to contribute to, to this ecosystem and we're going to be able to, as you said before, the start of the video, earn on our XRP. Uh, to what extent is the government going to allow that? Because as, as it happens right now in the US, it's pretty difficult for you to earn on your crypto. Uh, you either have to stake it on chain, which obviously you don't have to do KYC for. So some of them you may need to do a VPN on, some of them you may not to do a VPN. But all the centralized platforms that had uh, the earn feature, obviously not being staked, but, but an earn feature, like for example, Nexo, they had to remove it for because of pressure from, from the SEC. So if we start to get these products out, I really want to see how some of these things are going to be, um, I guess I, I should say regulated, because I still think that regulation is going to come, have to take take a, take a, a part on whether it's decentralized or, or centralized. I think there is going to come a time where they're going to want to regulate even the decentralized. So there's going to have to be, um, I would say KYC, right? And they have to comply with all the AML laws and, and all these different laws to, to prevent money laundering. But I want to see how that's going to take place. At some point, they could even force, I guess, um, software or, or the wallets to comply. So people would only be able to open an account if they get KYC or open up a wallet if they get KYC'd. So I want to see how that part takes takes place. But nonetheless, I think it's interesting apps. It would be nice to be able to earn on, on, on the XRP. Here's a couple of things too, Mario, just to add to what you're saying is that, of course, we're going to see regulation of stable coins coming in 2024. But I do think that's going to extend into the broader market during 2025 and 26. You're talking about an issue that's currently being voted on right now. So I do want to make this point. Right now, we showed you the update last week. Over 80% of validators had agreed to this amendment. Well, that has fallen to 72%. So what it means is that we're going to need a few more votes before we can start waiting for those two weeks again. It's a little bit disappointing, guys, because I wanted this amendment to come in pretty soon. But Mario, you make a great point. The governments aren't going to back these ideas, but I don't think they're going to have a choice. I think if they can tax these things, they're going to profit off of this technology. And David Schwartz is indicating at a global system, you're talking about a United States issue. So we really could run into a, a, a situation where Asian investors or South American investors or uh, Middle Eastern investors 
have a way better opportunity to make money in this market. And that would be the first time ever that Americans are at a disadvantage when it comes to making U.S. dollars in this market, or not in this market, but in the global economy. It is very crazy. And guys, I wanted to break down this very short article. This is Anthony Scaramucci, and he's a very, very popular um, Bitcoin analyst, macroeconomist. He's talking about how Bitcoin will hit $170,000 post the halving this year. He also praised BlackLock CEO Larry Fink for doing his homework on Bitcoin and changing his mind on this asset. Scaramucci revealed that he is he believes Bitcoin will reach at least 170,000 after the halving in April when the number of new Bitcoin entering the circulation shrinks once again. This will happen, I believe it's April 17th to the 21st. Bitcoin's supply will go from 900 Bitcoin a day to 450 Bitcoin a day. Very simple supply and demand here. I'm using the $35,000 number at the halving, and that's a little conservative at the least. If we're at 50000 in April, then I'd say it's a $200,000 handle. Let's say we're at 60000 it would be a $240,000 handle. So he believes we're going to reach at least $170,000 for Bitcoin, depending on what the price is in April. If it's 40000 he thinks we're going to go that high, Mario. We're going to see some bullish action in the altcoins. If we get $170,000, $200,000 Bitcoin, I promise you guys, XR, well, actually, I can't promise this. XRP won't be the price that it is today. But that's the point I wanted to make, Mario. You give me some of your thoughts and we'll close it out with another great article. Yeah, I think as long as we don't get some sort of black swan event, then that's what is supposed to happen. We're supposed to see Bitcoin soar into new all-time highs because as Mark Yusko and Grant Cardone had that conversation on the show last week, at some point, it comes down to supply-demand. And, and, and what the supply and demand tells us for Bitcoin is that there's a decrease in, in the production of Bitcoin. And especially now with the demand that we have from, from, from institutions, because there's a Bitcoin ETF, it only makes sense for the price to go up because miners also need to get paid more to adjust for the fact that they're getting less on, on, on rewards, or I guess I should say from, from the mining the Bitcoin. So I think it it is feasible for us to get into the six figures for Bitcoin. I don't think we're going to get into the multiple six figures. So I, I don't think that in this bull run, we will get into the 200,000. But I definitely think about 150,000 seems seems um, seems feasible for, for Bitcoin, like all time high in the next bull run, especially when we look at um, some of these indicators like like the Fibonacci retracement, like that's kind of the level that seems very attainable. And so as long as we don't get any black swan event, like we spoke about Tether this morning on Ablando Crypto, the Spanish version uh, or the Spanish show that we have, as long as we don't have like there's still Tether. And as long as Tether doesn't seem doesn't turn out to be this thing that we hope it's not that it is, then we should be okay. It's kind of this lingering thing that we still have in crypto, right? We we thought something was going to happen last bull run. It ended up being Terra Luna and FTX and all these other things that collapsed. So as long as we don't get a black swan event, I do I do see totally Bitcoin going into a new all-time high. And that's going to be super exciting for all the altcoins. And this is some exciting news from yesterday to close out the show. Easy A announced that they would be launching the first smart contract on the XRPL with Ethereum virtual machine capabilities. This is a video that we've been playing throughout the show showing the application in and of itself. But I just wanted to break down this brief article before we end the show here. The XRP ledger is not getting an EVM integration, says the XRPL Foundation executive. So what happens here? Uh, Ripple partner, Pier 
Pierce technology to develop an EVM sidechain for the XRP ledger. This upcoming sidechain is expected to complement the XRPL's functionalities by allowing XRPL developers to build Ethereum virtual machine compatible de- decentralized apps and smart contracts. That's a mouthful. The development from the X-Chain bridge, which should connect the EVM sidechain to the XRPL, has reached an advanced stage according to this technology company. They have now launched an XRPL amendment and are looking to deploy the bridge. Ripple recently collaborated with EZA, the application we just showed you, a Web3 educational resource to introduce the XRPL learning modules for its 750,000 developers. EZA says that the learning challenge, which centers around the upcoming EVM sidechain, will help users develop smart contracts on the XRPL. That is so exciting, Mario. I'm just realizing we only have four minutes. I'm going to read the second part of this, and then we'll, we'll open it up for comments. So this is where the developer comes in. XRPL is not getting EVM integration. The head of analytics and compliance at the XRPL Foundation has come to debunk these claims based on the technicalities. Amid, amid the excitement surrounding the potential opportunity for developers and users to launch smart contracts on the XRPL, Silkjar said the network is, in fact, not getting an EVM integration. According to him, this is all a misconception. He posted this on Twitter stating, he has been witnessing reports and announcements about the XRPL EVM integration and how it could allow users to deploy smart contracts on the XRPL. This is maybe not the case. For the uninitiated, EVM or the virtual machine is a routine environment where smart contracts can be executed on top of Ethereum. Um, When a network integrates with the EVM, it gains the ability to run Ethereum-based smart contracts and facilitate interoperability on top of Ethereum. The recent reports that the XRP EVM sidechain might have triggered that idea the XRPL would be getting this functionality, but that is not the case. He says the XRP ledger is not integrated with the Ethereum virtual machine, and instead Ripple and this other technology company want to introduce a new sidechain with EVM capability. This sidechain is entirely different from the XRPL because it does not work on XRPL protocol. He also emphasized that the upcoming EVM sidechain is not any different from other sidechains on the XRPL. So I I squeezed that important article in at the end of the show, guys. So thank you for being here. But Mario, what were some of your takeaways? I just threw a lot at you. This seems like the EVM sidechain compatibility is in progress, but it's not being fully implemented. What were your takeaways? Yeah, so at first I thought it was an EVF sidechain from a perspective audio of it would connect to Ethereum. So it seems like it's not going to connect to Ethereum. Instead, it's going to be a separate sidechain with the EVM technology. So I think that, I mean, that sounds interesting to me from a perspective of interoperability. Um, I think I would be more excited with uh, an EVM into Ethereum because I kind of see Ethereum as continuing to be this prominent uh, blockchain when it comes to all the different developments that we're seeing around the blockchain space. So, um, yeah, let's, let's see how that plays out. Uh, I'm interested to see how that sidechain, obviously EVM is, is, is a technology to go. It's a technology that, that is here to stay, but I'm interested to see how they make it work with a separate sidechain and not with Ethereum. Absolutely, Mario. And we got 508 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Tomorrow, Zach Rector will be joining the show. So that's going to be a very exciting episode tomorrow. We're going to dive into the fundamentals of XRP and some of the possibilities heading into 2025. But we love you guys. We'll see you in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining